Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, baby, across the world, uh, on the interwebs, uh, and uh, across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or translator, it is The Michael Dukes Show, and I welcome you to this Monday, fun day, Monday. We put the fun in Monday. You'll notice that there is no fun in Monday, but that's okay. We're we're going to try. We're going to attempt it today, and uh, we appreciate you guys coming out and uh, joining us. It is just a uh, just a beautiful, beautiful, windy day. Holy cow, the wind. The house this morning just creaking and doors. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning, one of the doors in the house slammed. And it's the air that was moving around just sucked the door right. It was crazy. It's crazy stuff. But that's okay, you know. Now, if we go off the air, it may be because the wind knocks something down. <laughs> just FYI, if we get if that happens, you know, you know what what's going on. Uh, welcome the uh, welcome to the program today. Um, we have got uh, some stuff lined up for you today. Coming up in hour two on the broadcast, we're going to be talking with Senator Roger. Holland, um, who is uh, uh, who's going to be coming on board and giving us kind of a recap of what has happened here in the last couple of weeks, including the um, uh, you know the the kind of the rolling of his committee and his overall take on what's happening with uh, what's happening with the uh, uh, with the budget and everything else in the Senate, and then what he thinks is going to be coming out of the remainder. Of this session, we are officially what nine days away, ten days away, nine days, um, <clears throat> nine days. Eighteenth is the final day of the session um, on Wednesday. So we'll see if they get it done or if they have to extend out another ten days, which they have the ability to do. But uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Uh, Roger Holland, anyway, will come on board. We haven't spoken to him in quite a while. Um, in fact, I only think we've ever spoken to Roger Holland one other time. So this will be a good, uh, this will be a kind of a good little, uh, touch touchstone with him just to kind of see where things are at and what his overall take is, uh, on the budget. Um, I had some interesting conversations on Friday and Saturday, uh, with a couple different folks from Juno. Um, the frustration factor is high for those that would like to get a reasonable budget and a full PFD out. Um, it's just, it's not happening, folks. It's not happening. We knew that it was a long shot. I mean, you know, all, all in all fairness, we knew that it was going to be a long shot to try and get a full PFD out of the out of this legislature, anyway, with the leadership that we currently have. Uh, but it's just, I mean, it's just, it's just the worst. 
it's just the worst, especially when you got people like they're down there saying, oh, we've got plenty of things to do and we, we, we've got all this money. And now we've got four point whatever billion dollars to play with after that. Um, and uh, that was just straight from uh, straight from Senator Burt Stedman's lips on that one. They're going to pay for all the bills and still have billions of dollars to play with. And yet they can't possibly be bothered to try and uh, get the citizens the money that they need and deserve. It's it's a sad, sad day uh, for uh, for all of us on that. But um, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, they want to get out of there and go down there and be reelected and they want to they want to go down there and run for re-election. So just remember this. Just remember all the names you hear. Um, you know, in our the thing is, here's the thing, <clears throat> and I guess I should tell you that I'm going to go ahead and open up the phone lines in this hour because we got some things to talk about, and I want to hear what you have to say. So I will, uh, I'll, I'll open up the phone lines right now. In fact, at four three three thirty one fifty, the Pivotel call-in line. Um, but here's the thing: we have changed out. A, a huge chunk of the uh, of the of the legislative body over the last I'm gonna, I don't know six seven years we've changed out uh, I think two thirds of them was the last count that I had two thirds of the legislature and yet we continue to move in the same direction and that is because the people who have retained power and remain in power are you know, protected by their constituencies, the, the, the folks that keep sending them back. And yes, I'm looking at you, Kodiak, sending back Louise Stutes and Gary Stevens. They're part of the issue. The folks in Sitka continuing to send back Bert Stedman over and over and over again. He's had his hand at the tiller of the Senate Finance Committee for, man, I, I think it's going on, what, eight years now, nine years? And we can't we just don't seem to be able to uh, to shake them. So as much as we keep going on and on about changing the players, which I think is an important aspect of it, don't get me wrong, but it's like we're almost changing out the wrong players. 39 out of 60 legislators have changed since 2016. So in the last five, six years, we've changed out 39 out of two-thirds of them. And yet we've got that handful of people who continue to hold on to the whole business as usual mentality. And it is, it's frustrating. I mean, it is definitely frustrating. And I don't know, I don't know how we can change that. I don't know how, you know, we've, we've talked about, um, we've talked about, uh, uh, you know, how the folks in Kodiak, I mean, they could make some changes, but I've gotten emails from people who listen and who send emails from, you know, from Kodiak saying, well, look, I understand, but, you know, <clears throat> we really like, you know, Louise, for example, because of her policies on fishing and some of these other things, which are really important to us. And I agree. I mean, I see that. But at the same time, it's got to be a holistic approach. You can't just look at their one issue and say, well, that's the issue that I'm on board with. What are they doing to the budget? What are they doing to the rest of the state? What is going on? I, I, <clears throat> I wish I had a solution. I wish I, I mean, the solution is, is to change those players out, but I wish I had a solution as to how to get those constituencies in those areas to see that, to put up a good candidate that could beat some of these incumbents because we could change out the two thirds of the legislature that we've changed out. But if the same people are still 
in charge, well, <clears throat> that there's really nothing more we can do. Um, I understand that there's been a little bit of contention. I'm glad to hear that apparently uh, Click Bishop's district has uh, is not real happy with him up in the Fairbanks area. Um, and I'm hoping that that means that somebody is going to be able to run for that seat because if we change out a few of those players up there, then that will be good for us. Um, I understand Greyer Hopkins is having a hard time in his house seat as well. So, I mean, I, I, I there's some positives here. But the bottom line is you could change out everybody, and if you've got the same eight people running everything in the state because they have the institutional knowledge and the political horsepower to get it done, then that you're going to always get what you've always got. I mean, that is the very definition of insanity at this point. But that's, I guess that's my mini rant for this morning. Um, I, I just, I, I think that every candidate, <clears throat> excuse me, I think every candidate should face an incumbent. And even if it's my candidate that I support, I believe that every candidate should face an incumbent because I believe it keeps them sharp and I believe it keeps them on their word. I don't think there should be ever a candidate that doesn't face a challenger at some point because it keeps them on their toes. Um, and in a lot of these cases, we're just not seeing any viable candidates running up against, um, you know, running up against the powers that be, so to speak. That's uh, anyway, that's my hot take this morning on this. So I thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, meanwhile, we got some other headlines we're going to talk about. We'll discuss uh, the Point Lowell thing down in Seward. Um, there's some flooding in Manly Hot Springs. Um, it's uh, springtime, and oof, man, there's lots of things going on, so we could talk about all that. And we'll have the phone lines open as well. Want to see what you guys have to say uh, at 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. That is the Pivotel call-in line. Of course, you can always drop me an email. The email address is me at michaeldukeshow.com, M-E at michaeldukeshow.com. I'm actually opening up my email for the first time this morning. I haven't even looked at it yet. It's been that kind of morning, so we're going to take a look at that. And uh, and you can also join us in the chat room, uh, which is available on Facebook, uh, YouTube, or Twitch, any of those. All right, let's go over to the phones and see what you have to say. We'll start off over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hi, Mike. Jeff from Homer. Morning, uh, Jeff. I, I want to talk about a little bit different subject this morning. Okay. Um, Kenai Burrow, I've uh, been meeting with Charlie Pierce and his foresters and his staff for a while now. We've been kind of keeping that on the down low, but uh, Charlie wants me to put this out. So we are going to cut 21,000 acres of burrow land in Beetlekill. We're going to start on the 17th. They're going to start laying out contracts to get this cut, you can if you've got a small mill, a big mill, want firewood places to cut, you got a firewood business, you can get in on this. All you have to do is contact the borough. Marcus Miller's the head forester of that's been put in place of that. And uh, this stuff is coming. All right. So okay. be aware. Um, I'm I am also actively looking for investors for a mill that I want to put together in Eventually, we're going to put in a biomass plant and burn most of the bad wood and saw the rest out from out there. This is what I've been working on. So anybody that wants to contact me, if you want me to, I'll put my number on the line. Sure, go ahead, sure. And you can contact me. It's 907-756-3422. My name's Jeffrey. 
last name Allen like the highway, A-L-L-E-N, uh, and eventually you'll be able to find me on the Internet. I'm not there yet. We're naming the company. We're going to get things started out. So this, is all, so this is all about uh, beetle kill? Uh, is that what you're saying? They're clearing 20,000 acres of beetle kill? 21,000. Yeah. A thousand acres is going to be turned into farm ground agriculture. So those okay. agriculture people might need to get started on their plans. There will be a thousand acres that will be stripped clean, uh, pull off the topsoil, the stumps, everything. Um, we're going to go as far as to have grinders and uh, top grinders and chippers for the mill to, to chip all of our stuff for the biomass plant. It's going to be a massive operation. The borough is asking for money from, from the federal government. And uh, in the meantime, it was a bad fire danger all through the town of Kenai. Everybody be careful with your fires and what you're doing. And uh, we're looking for more fire protection. There's some grants that are coming out soon for that stuff from the government. So we're doing everything we can to get this beetle kill away from the road and the public and, you know, block it back into blocks this year and try to get it away from everybody. And anybody that has land that has beetle kill, I know a lot of people. I've located six different contractors that want to cut wood, have equipment, and we'll come take it down for you. You know, okay, and probably at no cost. And there's and the borough, the borough has. Does the borough have plats and maps and things like that of where the areas are, so people know what's going on? That yeah, there's a meeting on the 17th, and all of the all of the boroughs pretty much going to be there. That needs to be everybody that that has to put this through is going to be there. Uh, I met a guy yesterday, what's his name? He's running for Senator B.J. Oderman or something like that. I can't remember now. I've met so many people last in the last two weeks. It's incredible. Um, but anyway, he's the head of that, and he's totally behind me and Charlie and everybody else. So it, it's just a matter of getting everything ready, getting these contracts written up. Uh, some places are going to charge for the wood, you know, because we're going to take a lot of it, and other places probably will be, you know, smaller. You can get a little permit for a certain price to cut firewood or wood for yourself or your little sawmill. And I see more and more sawmills and I see more and more firewood because this winter's not going to be cool the way prices of fuel are, you know. Right, right. So there's help there and don't think you can't get it. All you got to do is get a hold of Charlie's office, call him, and uh, somebody will direct you in the right direction. It's not completely ready yet, but it's coming, Okay. And I can come back on your show and others. There's other places they want me to do this and announce you can get a permit there today. You can't yet, but it's coming. Okay. Right? So just so people are aware, try to wake them up about what we're up to. We want to get rid of that beetle kill. Um, and, you know, and there's a lot of places. Go right around Kenai and you'll see. Okay. It's, it's a bad one, situation. One more time. So, on your, I'm up against a break yeah. here. One more time on your number, Jeff, so folks can get a hold of you if they want to talk to you about this. Okay, and you take it to 907-756-3422. All right. Well, I appreciate and it. We welcome everybody and thank them for their help. So um, let's get this thing going and taken care of before it becomes a – it's a bad danger now, but it can yeah. be worse. You no, know, absolutely. I, I hate to see burned up. So. All right. Well, hey, um, I appreciate we're, it. We're working harder. Thank you so much, Jeff, for uh, sounding off this morning and bringing that to our attention. Just another service that we provide here on the program, trying to help you all understand what's going on. <laughs> all right. Um, I'm going to leave the lines open for the whole of the first hour. Senator Roger Holland is going to join us in hour two. 
and we will continue in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Regularly heard on American radio. Okay, we're in the break this morning uh, and ready to go. I'll keep my beetle kill. Thank you. I need the firewood and the lumber. Good for you, Jeannie. I mean, I don't think they're not coming onto your property, but I think this is uh, 21,000 acres, obviously, of borough land that uh, needs to be cleared off. So we'll see what's going on. The Beatles are dead? No, only half of them. Well, most of them. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, the other Beatles. Oh, okay. I get what you're saying. Uh, yeah, hey, I saw that. Got a little dusting of snow up there in Fairbanks this morning. You poor bastards. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh, man. What a what a day, huh? What a day. Um. You, you when you wake up and you're like, oh, spring is here, and then the, oh, damn, <laughs> damn, what the heck? I know if there was any snow in my house uh, this morning, I would have been a little upset. Um, but nope, beautiful weekend, um, except for this wind. Man, holy cow, the wind uh, is uh, a little, uh, little crazy. Although Brian said he doesn't have any out on the fish hook, but. Uh, yeah, down on the Kanikus Bay, it was little blowing, little blowing. Um, all right. Um, all right. Uh, somebody just sent me a message. Um, Kodiak Republicans have endorsed Stutes and Murkowski. Because, of course, they have. Because, you know, I mean, even though Murkowski's been, even though Murkowski has been, uh, uh, you know, censured by the Alaska Republican Party as a whole, the Kodiak Republicans are like, no, nah, we like we like the way things are going. We like the way things are going, so we're just going to do what we're going to do. Oof. Oof. Um, all right. I'm going back, uh, taking a look at some stuff here. Okay. All right, we missed the summer and the hunting season, says Gordon. <laughs> yeah, I know. The winter's back already. That's just the kind of year we've been having, right? I mean, you know, started to be spring and now, nope, here's the winter. We're just going to we're gonna skip right over it. You got your two days of spring and summer, and now you're back into it. Uh, my neighbor has a bandsaw mill off North Coho Loop. I think a lot of people um, will be doing, I, I agree with Jeff, you know, the price of heating oil and everything else. Um are going to be looking for a lot of that, uh, looking for that lot of that wood and coal and other things to help keep their uh, keep their stuff going as well. Um, talking about crab, crab and salmon egg rolls today, says Hawk. Man, send me some of those crab and salmon egg rolls. I'm I'm down with that. I'll try them. I love that. Yummy. Okay. 
Hope all the ladies had a nice Mother's Day, said Cindy. I think my, I hope my wife did. We uh, we had a good time. We did something that was completely, completely, I mean, many people would say useless and inadequate. But we, my wife and I just sat on the couch and held hands and had a movie marathon this weekend. It was a tremendous amount of fun. Um, I love it. Um, found some 500-round cases for 22 long rifles. Should have purchased more. Isn't that always the answer? Should have purchased more. Found that ammo and should have purchased. I remember when I complained. This is probably dating me a while ago. This is probably 20 years ago. I remember when I complained uh, from uh, to my supplier. I had a kind of a supplier that would supply me with ammo. And uh, I'd buy it, you know, cases at a time. I'd buy three or four cases. And I remember when I complained when it went from $69 a thousand rounds for Russian 762 by 39. It went from $69 a thousand to 81. And I complained to him. And now I am like, I should have bought a tractor trailer load of that stuff. I should have bought a complete Connex full of ammo. I should have taken a loan out and gone out and bought a whole Connex worth of ammo at $81 a case. I would be a multi-gazillionaire now. (laughs) it It appreciated more than gold did at this point. Talk about precious metals. Oof. Oh, why is 4570 ammo so damn expensive? Well, I, I, you know, it's an ammo, pretty much everything. It's all supply and demand right now. And uh, not surprising that we're seeing those kind of prices go on everywhere. I think Reno got snow. Um, it's not spring. It Well, it is. I mean, it may be one of those. It may be one of those. Uh, um, it may be one of those springs that you know kind of holds on, or f- winters that holds on uh, as you go through. Um, Five hundred and ninety-nine dollars and fifty cents for a thousand rounds of three bears, says Chris. I'm, of, of Russian, is that what you're talking about? Because yeah, that just that's just like salt into the wound, Chris. Thanks. I mean, eighty-one bucks a thousand should have bought a truckload. An absolute truckload, but did not. Uh, and you can't even, yeah, you can't even roll your own at this point because primers, powders, all that stuff is uh, is just as hard to find. It seems like. Okay, um, what else we got around here? Anything else? Uh, Tony, Sean. But wait, it's not Friday. You're going to get me screwed up. I know somebody brought it up, so I talked about it. But we're not on the air, so it's official. I, I can I can talk about it, you know. Springtime in Alaska, 42 below. Thank God it's not that. Russian wolf for 600 bucks a case. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, it hurts so much, man. It hurts so much. Uh Again, I've shot thousands and thousands and thousands of round of Russian wolf. And uh, if only I had been smart enough to buy the whole case, a whole truckload at this point. Oof. Ten times. I could have made my money back ten times. Uh, I heard Russian vodka was going for 600 bucks a bottle. Well, uh, you know, I don't think it's that good, but, you know, what are you going to do? Um, all right. Well, uh, we are about uh, 20 seconds out. Is that it? 
30 seconds out. Let's get back into it. The Michael Duke Show, 20 Common Sense, Liberty Dice, Free Thinking Radio. Okay, Annette Funicello, I don't know, my timer broke at some point. So anyway, we're back. We're back on the radio talking about stuff. Um, what, do we, uh, what do we got on our plate today? Well, we're going to be talking about what's coming up in the legislature. Uh, we're going to be diving into it on what is happening with the budget, which there's going to be a lot of, uh, there's going to be a lot of fighting on the floor today, I have a feeling, when it's all said and done. Uh, meanwhile, we're going to open up the phone lines for those of you who want to uh, come on board and uh, chat with us this morning on any topic that we've been talking about or anything that we haven't been talking about. Jeff just came in and talked about uh, wood sales and beetle kills on the peninsula. We've also got this story about what's going on down in um, in uh, Seward at Lowell Point. They are definitely, it was definitely not a good day for people who are hanging out down in Lowell Point south of Seward as the uh, landslide uh, slumped out across the road. Pretty impressive. They actually caught it on video. If you haven't seen it, the video is over on uh, the ADN. There's a video there, warning language. Uh, but uh, anyway, the whole uh, whole south side of that road is now currently cut off. They're running water taxis back and forth and everything else, but they expect that it's going to be several days before they get that road back open. Uh, something like uh, 300 feet long and two or 300 feet uh, deep and wide. And um, But it is definitely impressive what Mother Nature can do, uh, uh, you know, to our pitiful, pitiful little plans for uh, driving around on the weekend. Uh, anyway, so go, uh, you can go check it out there and take a look at it. But as of right now, they're just running some water taxis to make sure that Lowell Point community can remain around and, uh, and uh, you know, keeping things up. They've, got, they've already got contractors on it, but they have to stabilize the whole thing first. It's a, definitely an impressive video, though. If you haven't gone and seen it, you'll, see, you'll, you'll be humbled again right there. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's go over to the phones and see what you have to say this morning. Uh, good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Yeah, Buenos Dias, Michael. How are you doing today? Uh, good morning, Brady. What is, what's on your mind? Hey, I just wondered if you had the chance to, over the weekend, watch 2,000 Mules. I have not watched 2,000 Mules, although many people have uh, recommended it to me. I haven't watched it yet. Finally, the evidence that we've needed right in video uh, on the stolen election, I think immediately today what we should do is impeach Joe Biden hang them for treason, and go over to Russia and celebrate National Victory Day when the Russians defeated the Germans in 1945. That's what we should do today. Okay. Well, I don't know as we should call for hanging anyone at this point, Brady. But, uh, I, I mean, I hear people have been talking about the movie and, uh, um, and have been pointing out uh, some of the things that the movie, some of the points that the movie's been making. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll, I, I haven't seen it yet, so we'll have to watch it and get a, get a feel for it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I know Russia is already evoking more, 
more parallels to World War II and everything else and how they're apparently doing God's works and exterminating all the Nazi Ukrainians or something. I mean, some crazy stuff like that. Again, lots of justification for that kind of stuff, which um, I, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't support at this point. Uh, but thank you for calling in and at least sharing your thoughts with it, I guess. Um, but yeah, I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, I'm, it's on my watch list. Let's put it that way. Um, all right. Uh, 433-3150, 433-3150. If you would like to sound off this morning, we'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and, and have your words be heard. $17 million for a low-income housing added to the Senate budget by Lyman Hoffman. He needs to grab a huge handful to pay for his new subdivision. I'm hearing more and more kind of discussions about things like that, where in the, especially in some of the rural communities, there's a, there's a, you know, it's, it's not the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's like everybody is connected at one point or another. And it seems like more and more of this state money is going to benefit people who are some of the ones that are calling and, and handling the money. Um, this is not the first time that I've heard this about what some of the things that Lyman Hoffman wants to get done. Um, I'm, I guess I'm not shocked at that point, but, uh, you know, frustrated by it. Sure. Absolutely frustrated by it. Um, all right. Uh, let's, uh, let's continue on here and uh, take some more calls. 433-3150. Uh, over here we go. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Good morning, Jeremy in Casilla. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning. What's on your mind? Are we live? Gosh, I hope so. Every time you ask that and every time I say yes, when I say your name, we are live. What's up, Jeremy? Okay. Well, you know who the biggest winners are of the uh, Ukrainian-Russia uh, uh thing is, don't you? It's Raytheon, Halliburton, Lockheed Martin, and all these people that are getting that $33 billion are these defense contractors. So who, who's the big breadwinner here? Well, mil- military industrial complex has done very well for itself throughout the entire war on terror, not just the Ukrainian war, but you're right. I mean, they are... They are making some bank on this. All defense contractors around the world are making some bank on this. I guess, um, you know, since Joe Biden abruptly and dishonorably abandoned Afghanistan, then the MIC needs another bailout, right? I, I guess I guess so. They were looking for ways to pad the bottom line. Is that what you're saying? You're thinking this whole thing is some kind of deal to uh, – to bolster the military industrial uh, industrial complex. Yes, sir. Uh, that's absolutely what it is. And I, I bet you could get uh, senators like Rand Paul and Mike Lee and uh, Justin Amash to agree. Well, I I, I would agree that uh, some of the uh, some of the more libertarian candidates follow my train of thought, which is. We probably should avoid as many foreign entanglements as we possibly can, but uh, uh, you know, I guess unfortunately we're not the ones in power. They're not the ones in power because otherwise, I think that that would be part of the part of the plan. So basically, they are 
taxing our children and grandchildren's children to fund the military-industrial complex. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I appreciate you sounding off. State of affairs. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, they, we've been we've been we've been warning about we've been warned about the military-industrial complex for the last sixty years, and uh, it's no surprise. I mean, here we are exporting democracy at the bar- you know through the barrel of a gun, and it's no surprise that they're the ones that are continuing to benefit from that. Uh, thank you, Jeremy, for your call. I appreciate it. Uh, let's uh, continue ahead here. Four three three thirty one fifty. Over here, good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Yeah, good morning, Michael. This is Carl from Fairbanks. Hey, Carl, what's up? Um, let me give me one here. I got to switch you over to my phone. Um, so, you know that new ballot that we have all been receiving in the mail? Sure, um, sure. The 48-candidate ballot, right? I, yeah, so I have a friend that's been registered him and his wife have been registered in Tennessee since 2020 and she's already received her ballot. So he sent me a picture of it and I told him, I don't know how, but you need to try and find a way to send it to somebody that's going to actually be able to raise the, the, the concern to the people in Alaska. Because my problem is, is I, I guarantee, I mean, there's, that's probably one of thousands oh, that yeah. would be turned in and be an illegal vote. And I would be willing to bet money on it that they're all going to be counted, you know. So what are we what are we doing about stuff like this? And you could right. you could even look at it as the post the postmark, like if they mailed it from Tennessee. But what if they had what if they had somebody in Alaska? They could just mail it, put it in an envelope, mail it up here, and then they could put it in the. You know what I mean? So there's right. ways around it. Oh no, ballot har- <laughs> Yeah, ballot harvesting is a real thing. I mean, uh, Must Read Alaska the last week had a picture of of uh, five different ballots um, from one person that had submitted the picture to Suzanne Downing over Must Read. One of the ballots for was for the legitimate resident of that place, but the other four were for previous residents. I mean, we're seeing it right now. Um, uh, I know that... Uh, so what some, are they going to do about this, though? That's the question. What are they going to do about it? I mean, there's no signature verification. There's nothing else that's going on. It is definitely problematic, to say the least. So... Um, and anybody with two brain cells to rub together knows that this is just going to be a sham. Yeah, exactly. So it's just frustrating. I, I mean, I'm at. The, I've never thought I'd say this, but I'm almost at the point where I don't even want to vote anymore. And I've never not voted since I was of legal age. You know, it's just frustrating. Hold on. Okay. Well, I appreciate but, it. Um, you know, I I agree. It's frustrating, and, and the ballot harvesting definitely is is a concern. So, thank you for your call. Uh, folks, we're up against the break. We got to go right now. We're going to take a quick one. I got one line on hold. Phone lines are open at 433-3150. We're back with more here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show. Comic Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
All right. Uh, sorry about that. Um, a little minor emergency there. Um, we're back. Uh, getting ready to take care of what we got going on here. Uh, zero, two percent of the capital budget for the Matsu. Um, uh, it's going to blow your mind. Okay. Send it to Mike Shower. Yeah, send. I hear a lot of people talking about uh, sending the the ballots to Senator Shower so that he can dump them all to the Division of Elections <laughs> and basically say, "Here you go, here you go." Um, someone on social media posted that he and his wife uh, received five ballots last week, even though they're the only two residents currently at the home. The other were previous owners. Uh, someone in Soldana had exactly the same thing. Yeah, no, there's a ton of that going on across the across the whole thing right now. Um, uh, every single member of our family has a tape out. Uh, our envelope shut because a sealant simply wouldn't work. So much for a secure ballot, says uh, the David. I heard that too. I heard somebody say that you lick the ballot and it doesn't stay closed. This is, again, another reason why I'm voting on the ballot which I have on my table in my dining room. I'm going to vote, collect all the ballots in the house, and I'm going to go down there and hand them, um, uh, and hand them to a uh, an election worker or whatever at the division of elections. Okay. Um, all right. Hold on a second here, folks. I have to. I have to take. I have to go back to this here real quick. Don't go anywhere. Okay. All right. 
Uh, you can't vote in person on the replacement ballot. I'm not saying replacement ballot, uh, Hawk. I'm going to go ahead and take my ballots and vote on them and then drop them off. You can do that. You could take them to the Division of Elections instead of putting them back in the mail. I'm not interested in uh, trusting the mail system to get them back to what is going. Did I hear that the Kodiak Republicans voted to endorse both Stutes and uh, more of the same ski? Yes. Um, are you allowed to drop off family members' ballots? I'm I, I'm assuming so because I'm going to go do that. They're all members of my household. They all have the same address, so I'm assuming that that is the case. That way we can get it done. Um, the Supreme Court judge removed the witness signature in 2020 needs to be arrested and charged. Well, that was a one-time thing, Karen. That's not continuing on. The uh, the signature is still is still there. All right, we got to go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right. Wow. Okay. Ready to go here. One final segment for this hour before we're joined by Roger Holland, who's going to be joining us uh, at the top of the hour. Talk about what's going on in the state legislature and in the Senate. Let's uh, go over to the phones and see what you guys have to say this morning as we continue on our discussions of things that are happening around the state. Uh, we go over here to the uh, to the phone lines and start off over here. Good morning. Uh, who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, good morning, Mike. This is Dan from North Pole. Hello, Dan. What's on your mind? So I'm just curious if you noticed here a week or so ago, uh, Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff visited Ukraine right around the time that Biden announced he was going to give $33 billion to Ukraine. So uh, me thinks. They're over there checking their bank to make sure deposits are being made because I believe a lot of that money, besides the military industrial complex, is at the political industrial complex. Uh, so, yeah, I my two cents, but it's awful. The speaker, the speaker of the house going to a war zone? Yeah, I don't believe that. Yeah, I mean, I was a little leery so, as to why she would go over there. I mean, other than I guess a show of support of some kind. But again, why would you? That doesn't make much sense. Um, he was announcing that they're spending the $33 billion over, but I don't know if when it's going over if that was the time. But it definitely made me scratch my head as to why Why would Nancy Pelosi, I mean, does she? would she even remember the trip at this point, um, <laughs> the way she's acting? So I don't even know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I did hear about that. Uh, thank you, Dan, for your call. Let's uh, go over here and uh, try another one. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hi, John from Kodiak. Hey, John, what's on your mind? So, for all the talk about the military-industrial complex, I just assume have our guys go to war with the very best we can give them. I don't want a fair fight. But on the other side, I would be much more concerned about, and there's no pithy idiom for it, the educational communist 
platform in America. That's where my concern is. You know, when you come to uh, the defense contractors, I can buy stock in any of those companies and be part of that complex. Can't buy Harvard stock. Can't buy Yale stock. So you're talking about the education industrial complex versus the military industrial complex, basically turning, uh, uh, turning and burning and, and indoctrinating the kids from uh, the wee young age and moving them up. You're more concerned about that than than a military than the military aspects. Absolutely, our military is not going to overthrow our own country. And like I said, we own that complex. Your 401k, your retirement fund. All that money owns stock in all of those companies. Nobody owns stock in Yale and Harvard. The liberals control it, and they own it. I uh, no, I I I definitely see the differences there for sure. Uh, the, I think that and and they both basically influence the government in similar ways. They're both you know trying to uh, further uh, you know further their uh, th- their coffers in the long run and basically make sure that their funding remains complete so there are definite similarities there and you're right in uh, in the cases of a lot of these military contractors they can be owned by citizens and where the uh, where where you can't have ownership in the education system um, so I definitely see that but you're right uh, this is something that I've advocated for a long time that this is a business this is a business being propped up and supported by government, being controlled in many ways by government, and then also being controlled by people who, uh, who you know, w- don't like the way that America is and don't like the way things continue, for sure. Love your show. Appreciate you calling in. Uh, one question real quick. Are you, we were just talking about Stutz and, Cow- and, and uh, Murkowski. Have you have you taken any interest in the things that are going on in Kodiak with Stutes and Stevens and Murkowski and all that? Have you do you have any a hot take for us from Kodiak on that? Yeah, I've been in Alaska for two months. I'm a transplant, uh, so I'm going to abstain from any comments until I get more involved <laughs> in it. Well, that's probably a smart thing to do. All right. Well, thank you so much for calling in. Thanks for uh, giving us your uh, for giving us your thoughts on this. 433-3150, if you would like to uh, um, uh, sound off here and join us this morning and talk about, uh, well, any of the things that we've been talking about, we'd love to hear what you guys have to say, and we'd love to uh, get your take on the things that are going on right now in the legislature. Uh, one of the things that came out, uh, again, these conversations that I had this weekend uh, with some of the folks uh, from Juno who called me up after the kind of the dust had settled over last weekend's uh, uh, battles on the floor uh, was the uh, it was the interesting thing, and we touched on this last week on the capital budget. You know, we've got a capital budget that's that's hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, and in fact, if you took the um, if you took the combined uh, if you took the combined capital budget. From both um, uh, from both the uh, uh, House and the Senate, we're talking about somewhere around 1.4 billion dollars in additional spending uh, with everything that's going on, and upwards of a billion dollars in the capital budget. Interestingly enough, though, um, one of the largest and fastest growing regions in the state, in fact, the fastest growing region of the state, the Matsu, got approximately two percent of that money. Two percent. Of that money, and then the uh, 
Uh, and then the the keen eye apparently it looks like it got zero percent of the money. This is just at some point you just got to go, man. Is this punitive? Who's running this budget? Oh yeah, Bert Stedman. Who's been fighting back against Stedman in these various ways? Oh yeah, legislators from the valley and from the peninsula. And so they're getting zero on this. Oh man, it's uh, it's it's crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and. F- Frustrating, to say the least. All right, let's go over here and take one more call before we uh, hit the bricks here for hour two. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Carlene in Kodiak. Good morning, Carlene. Um, good morning. Um, on April 9th, I listened to the Jan Markell show. She's oliveTreeMinistries.com or Understanding the Times. She had on Brandon, Pastor Brandon Holthouse and Pastor Mark Henry, and the clip was that Biden had just signed an executive order on March 9th on on the digital money, and they're giving it 210 days, so it's possible that that may happen by Christmas time, and there's a plan to regulate the money. It's about um, going cashless, Right. and there was a clip of Glenn Beck on the great, his book, The Great Reset. It used to be called The New World Order, and then President Trump called it The World Order, and now it's called The Great Reset. And um, I took about 11 pages of notes. I wished I had recorded it, but um, it's what's going on in Canada, like with the Canadian truckers. Um, with their digital money and what's going on in China. And I'm wondering if this is why there's such a push for the broadband across Alaska and the United States so that um, we are going cashless. Right. And it might be a good thing for people, like you've talked about, to have enough food like for five or six weeks because it just sounds like the banks will be shut down, and I'm wondering if that's why they are militarizing um, the police nationwide. And I'm wondering if that's what's happening here too with the chain link fence and the electric gate behind the police station, the Matson big van in front of the police station, and the little buildings now. Right. Um, well, uh- I'm just telling this. I didn't know how to verbalize it. I didn't want to see you get shut down. But I think people should realize um, what's going on. And I'm wondering if the war in the Ukraine is a distraction from the cashless coming. I think the cashless coming, I think the cashless thing has been coming for quite a while because government doesn't like things that it can't control. Um, maybe there's some ulterior motives beyond that, but I believe that this has to do more with them trying to control everything than actually, uh, you know, trying to go moneyless. But there's always a concern, uh, Carlene, in that regard. And I think it's always a good idea to have a little bit of stuff on hand just to protect yourself. Anyway, thank you for your call. Folks, out of time, hour two, dead ahead, The Michael Duke Show. Yeah, I mean it's 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 never a bad thing to have uh, to have all of your uh, to have things you know 
to protect yourself, whether it's food or whatever that you need uh, in your uh, in your larder for situations like what Carlene was talking about. It's never, never a bad thing at all. Um, let's see. Uh, going through here, coming back here, scrolling backwards a little bit. Um, uh, okay. Uh, did just, uh, let's see. I'm actually a pedestrian. Blah, blah, blah. Must read Alaska did a piece about spending millions of our dollars to bring the 11th airborne to J bear under the auspices of lowering the suicide rates of soldiers. Apparently they do not ha- currently have no identity. I don't know if that's the problem. I <laughs> I think the problem I think the problem is deeper than the fact that they just don't have an identity as a unit or as a brigade. Um uh, let's see. Just came back from shoveling snow. What did I miss? Um I throw footballs and my baseball's the right hand, so I'm even the left hand. Okay. Uh FYI, it hasn't hit the news yet, but we on the District 36 committee censured Click Bishop. Good for you. I And I had heard that. I made a mention of it earlier that uh, there was something going on back in the home district that was brewing. I had heard this. Apparently, he was um, he was not happy about being censured. Let's just put it that way. There was apparently there was a lot of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth down in Juneau on Thursday and Friday uh, when this uh, when this goes through. Uh, but good for you guys, David. Yeah. Now we just need to have somebody else step up and run against him. That's what we need to have. Um, okay. Uh, crab, egg, crab and egg rolls, crab and salmon egg rolls still my favorite meal for 42 years says Michael. Um, okay. Everyone loves Carlene. Yet the peninsula has buku tourism that pours into the state's budget says Jeannie. The word we heard says Kevin McCabe is that they don't think the Valley delegation will vote for the budget anyway. So, uh, They're not going to vote for the budget, so we're going to punish them and their constituencies for not voting for the budget. Yeah. Thoughts on Bart Lebon? I don't even know what to – I don't even know what to say uh, about Bart Lebon at this point other than, yeah, we definitely need to – we definitely need to uh, um, find somebody to run against him. Although that's a tough district. Remember, he won by only one vote the first time around, so that district is pretty – um, is pretty uh, pretty evenly split. I don't know as you could run somebody who was uber conservative in that district and have them uh, win because of that. Um, uh, let's see, 36. The federal board were digital currency since Obama. I hope the budget fails. Um, or bivy stick, larder. Haven't heard that word in a while. Prophecy will be fulfilled. I'm the vice chair of District 31. It was shared with me and then shared with 33 and 34. Okay. Um, one vote, and it was stolen from a – it was a vote from a felon, said Karen. Um, okay. <clears throat> the entire forward funding is brain dead in an election year. If they forward fund, it needs to happen same times as they reorganize after the election. Yeah. Um, one of the things that will help the great reset will be if conservative voters unwittingly fall into the trap of voting, put free cash handout into the Randy, you're making me tired, kid. You're making me tired. Kid rock versus Bruce Springsteen. Who wins? (laughs) Oh man. Fairbanks is a university town. Bring home the bacon district for the UAF campus. That's what Lebanon is. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong at all. 
that is definitely um that is definitely the whole the whole ploy there if you can bring home the bacon for that you are doing okay all right uh let's go over here to the phones i believe that we've got uh, senator uh roger holland with us this morning good morning senator how are you man that was quick yeah <laughs> Sorry about that. Just uh, just called in just now. Yep. No, you're doing good. We're just uh, we got you on the horn, and uh, we like to make sure that everybody is uh, all squared away before we uh, before we jump into it uh, for the radio. So you ready to ready to rock and roll this morning? As ready as possible. I tell you, I'm 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 not a finance guy. I'm on three finance subcommittees, and we just met like one time this year with a real high level overview. But uh, yeah, we'll go for it. Okay. Good. Well, we're about um, we're about two minutes out right now. It's just you and me and sixty or seventy of our closest friends on the internet right now, hanging out uh, in the uh, in the time, getting ready to jump into it. So, you uh, have you already got your bags packed? Are you ready to leave Juno already? Whew. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. I mean, I tell you, it's uh, it's still a bit off. It's still it's kind of hard to see it. Uh, it you know, ten days away. So, what is today? May ninth. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens. Uh, Looking forward to getting done with this. I actually, I, I, I hate to say the word special session, but um, I'm just wondering what's going to happen with a lot of this stuff as it comes crashing towards the end. The closer the end gets, everybody says, oh, don't worry. Golly, magic can happen in the last days. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I think I see the need for a lot of magic to happen. Yeah, no, I mean, we're getting, ti- we're getting down to the crunch time, and of course it's still got to go back for uh, reconciliation and everything else. So it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, we, I have a couple other bills. I mean, the, the, my big bill this year, besides the, the trying to get something done with the budget, but you're going to see, and I mentioned this on the air, you're going to see that you just look at the, the final counts on the budget where, the, where the votes fall and you'll let you know, it'll let you know how I think the conservatives feel about the budget. But, uh, you know, Senate bill 199 is the Alaska reads act. And, that's the the house once again is torturing that bill um i'd like to see that that's like real education reform for alaska real reading intervention help for for our k through third graders and you know that's the you 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 lose those kids another year yeah you you let another cohort move forward it's going to be a tough one all right hold hold the line hold the line roger we're coming up into it we got to jump onto the radio here don't go anywhere the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. 
live across the world on the interwebs at michaeldukeshow.com where you can pick up the podcast, the live stream, and so much more. And around the world on, or excuse me, around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, it is The Michael Duke Show. Uh, joining us now in hour two of the big radio broadcast, we are joined by GOP State Senator Roger Holland from District N. He comes on board this morning to share with us uh, his experiences over the last couple of weeks and where he thinks that we go from here. Uh, and he joins us uh, right now. Good morning, Senator. Hey, good morning. Good morning. You know, I, I really appreciate your picking up the comment about the dumpster fire last year. <laughs> and, and I'd use it again this year if it wasn't so cliched and accurate yeah you know yeah. it's uh and i appreciate your comments i sit two feet literally two feet from senator von imhoff and i hear all those comments i'm probably the first one by like milliseconds i'm the first one to hear every one of those comments in the world <laughs> and you got to add the next one the next comment is she she stood up next to me and said we have more money than we know what to do with yeah exactly we have and, yeah. and still still we're looking, they're, they're going to probably crank out this, once again, $1,100 permanent fund dividend. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what, what we wind up with uh, coming out of coming out of the legislature this year. Yeah, no, I mean, she is the soundbite machine. We love uh, we love to go back and take a look at all those things. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's dive into this, um, uh, Senator. Uh, you know, of course, we, we're seeing the budget come together. We're seeing it come out. Uh, we heard over the last couple of weeks that there's been obviously some strain going on in amongst the uh, the majority caucus. Um, you had a bill that you guys had moved out of committee and then it got referred out to one another one of your committees uh, forcefully. Uh, this is the read by nine bill SB 111. Is that right? I mean, give us some give us some. How are you feeling about the way things are progressing on the floor and in the committees? In the I, Senate I was, right now? I was I was very, you know, we, we actually getting SB 111. Um, which is now was renamed the Alaska Reads Act. I was totally fine with that. I didn't do that right off the bat because Alaska Reads Act was the name of a bill la- uh, in the last session, the 31st session, and I didn't want to steal that title. But um, I was I was happy them to to rename it this year the Alaska Reads Act. Uh, I was I was so heartened because this this year was the first year a reading intervention reform bill. Uh, like that got out of Senate finance. It was right. the first year we got something out of the Senate. We got it out of the Senate unanimously with a unanimous vote, and we sent it over to the House. And it is so disappointing to see what happened to the House version of it, House Bill 164. It became so weighed down with amendments that it has literally just stopped. Right. It just slogged to a halt, and they have they they never got to the end of their amendments. So we sent 111 over, and as far as I know right now, it's still stuck in House education. Uh, we're hoping to get it out of House education and, and get it into House finance where maybe, you know, they, they've burdened it down. They have taken the BSA uh, uh, increase and shoved it in it. They've taken the teacher's pension plan and shoved it in it. And, and the big problem with that is this is a chance to really get reading reform passed in Alaska, and instead of doing that, they're, they're, it's become this big Easter basket, and they're seeing how much they can cram into it. It's become so heavy that even if it comes out of the House, I don't know that the Senate can con- concur with it. And even if we do approve it, then the governor, I, I would feel he'd be totally uh, entitled to veto it because the, to pass a, a, a 
defined benefits plan like this. It hasn't been studied. We still have, um, you know, unfunded uh, costs from the from tier one and tier two employees that haven't retired yet, right. and and we're going to get back into a defined defined benefits program like this. Um, it, it's a hard thing to think about doing, and we need to do what we can. And what we need to do is address the the, the problems with K through three education, and that's what Senate Bill one eleven did. Uh, at least that's what it's designed to do. We'll have to see what comes out of the house. Now, is this as part of Shelley Hughes's Read by Nine initiative? Is that is that all yeah, part? That's, parcel? that's yeah. actually the heart of it. That's yeah. like the Read by Nine program is really not an expensive part. Um, the The problem is once again we have uh, we have uh, Republicans and Democrats. We need votes from both sides of the house and uh, both both sides of both bodies. And, uh, you know, whether, whether it's, there are people who say that uh, early learning and pre-K changes a child's life forever. It, you know, uh, higher incomes, uh, less, uh, you know, less family problems. And then there's also studies that show pre-K and early learning, the benefits are lost by the end of first grade. Well, uh, I believe the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. The thing is, there are individuals in the Senate, uh, and I'm sure in the House, that believe that pre-K is a solution. And so we're able to marry those two ideas up, pre-K and the Read by Nine, and also Shelley Hughes had the virtual learning uh, portion of it, and, and come up with a product that um, we can push forward with. Even though, like I said, the targeted pre-K that was a that was a bit of a, a, a financial ticket, and as a conservative Republican, it's hard for me to talk about spending, you know, so much more money. This would have even been outside the foundation funding formula. Right. But it was what we I needed to do to get Read by Nine passed this year. Read by Nine, we might have gotten that through the Senate, but we could not get Read by Nine alone through the House. Now, interestingly enough, Read by Nine is not is not uncharted territory. It's been used by uh, a couple different states, including oh, yeah. Florida. Oh yeah, not just a couple. Yeah. twenty something different states. Uh, Florida did it first, like in two thousand and three, and and say Mississippi, just for example, Mississippi did it in twenty thirteen. Alabama did it in just in twenty nineteen. To let you know, there are still states moving to Read by Nine. Alaska, we tried to do this in twenty fourteen, and it failed. Um, we, we, you know, it's we. I believe we tried to do it in 2020, and probably more courtesy of COVID than anything else, it failed again. I, I thought it was a real victory to get it through this year through the Senate. And uh, yeah, when I say it failed in 2014, it failed in Senate Finance. When it failed in 2020, it died in Senate Finance. To get it through Senate Finance and the Senate this year was, was a big accomplishment. But yeah, states have done it, and and since 2003, you look at these numbers, and in 2003. We were still towards the bottom. Alaska was still towards the bottom in, say, fourth grade reading, and but we right. weren't at the bottom. Right. And over the next twenty years or so, the other forty-nine states increased their these NEEP scores, this national testing thing, just by a few points. And Alaska, we just dropped by like two point something points. But what that did, as the rest of the states went up and as we went down, that really cemented us firmly 50th out of 50. I believe we're 51st out of 51 if you count the District of Columbia. And um, so, so yeah, what, what happened in this last 20 years? Well, among other things, the states that were struggling, by and large, adopted Read by Nine. 
And I don't know that the, you know, causation causes correlation or correlation is causation, whatever the words are. But uh, doggone it, if if that's not the way forward, um, there are a lot of people here in Alaska um, who just are not sure what the way forward is beyond that. Well, and we've poured, you know, ever-expanding amounts of money into education in this state. Uh, we're spending $1.6-something billion dollars on education, and we continue to get these poor results uh, a lot of this is going to, I know, overhead and other things. You mentioned the base student allocation and the foundation formula. I mean, those are things that I think we need to be opening up and talking about, but there just doesn't seem to be the political will to address those issues. Well, actually, I came on board uh, at the, or the first day of this uh, session uh, in 20, what is it, 21, and uh, being asked to chair education, and I saw the way forward was trying to get read by nine passed. You know, if if I am, I tell people this tongue in cheek. If I'm unfortunate enough to be here next year, um, the uh, I, I kind of see that's going to be one of the next things to do is maybe uh, take a look at at, uh, at at some portions of the foundation funding form to see if we can work on it. But but honestly, I as chair of education, chair of Senate Education, I, I get to sit in a unique spot in that I can I can look at and that's what I've told I've had superintendents come to my office uh, school superintendents from Alaska and various uh, individuals and I try to tell them the BSA there's a there's place for discussion with BSA but but the governor has given us the mandate we need reading intervention we need this reading reform we need a reading reform bill passed before there'll be a consideration of a BSA increase and so, so that's that's kind of given me the mandate. And uh, Senate Bill 111 is that reading reform. Uh, Senator uh, Roger Holland is our guest, a GOP state senator for District N. Uh, Roger, we saw, uh, of course, the 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 we saw the attempt on the floor for HB 199, which was the 5050, then 7525. I'm sorry, SB 199. That's right. Yep. Sorry. Uh, and that uh, that came out on the floor, and there was a whole lot of hullabaloo over that, and it eventually got killed again, sent to another committee. But can you walk us through your thoughts on that as it went through there, and what what your thoughts are as you look? Yeah, SB one ninety nine is is a twenty five seventy five percent of market value thing. So it, once again, it produces that thousand dollar PFD, and I think the reason the thousand dollar PFD is so popular amongst Senate finance. Is because they realize that's like that's the minimal amount of money we can we can pay Alaskans where they don't start sharpening their pitchforks and lighting their torches and coming to assault the Capitol building. You know the the eleven hundred dollars, the five hundred and twenty five dollar permanent fund dividend that was part of last year's budget for a blink of time. That was an insult. And uh, so, so SB one ninety nine has this twenty five seventy five split, and it has a, a I think an increase of eight hundred million in revenue. And so we last year we didn't have money to pay a big PFD. This year we have more money than we know what to do with, according to Senator Von Imhoff when she stood up on the floor of the Senate. And we still are looking at a low PFD and raising taxes. So last year, no money, cut the PFD and raise taxes. This year, more money than we know what to do with, cut the PFD and raise taxes. Do we see a, do we see a, a theme here? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Senate Bill 199 was an insult. And so uh, Rob Myers, Senator Myers, came up first with uh, the First Amendment, and that would have been to return to the statutory formula this year as a, as a kind of like compensation for, for all the money that's been 
twelve or thirteen thousand dollars has been kept from every Alaskan over the last six or seven seven years, and then going to the fifty fifty compromise because a lot of legislators, I think a lot of Alaskans see that as a compromise. Okay, well let's walk to the center on this and try to get more uh, for Alaskans. But uh, so statutory this year, fifty fifty compromise every year after that, and of course we lost that. Um, the vote went down eight to eleven, and uh, then my amendment was up after that, and and I went to since we couldn't get the statutory this year, I said okay, let's do the fifty fifty this year and fifty fifty every year after that, no increased revenue just like in Robs, and then also both Robs and my amendment had a constitutional tie-in because I tell you, statutory law we just figured out. The state doesn't feel like they need to follow statutory law, and and the big fix on this was try to get these this 50-50 uh, PFD compromise in the Constitution, where we can't just arbitrarily decide we're going to pay eleven hundred dollars no matter what the law says. Well, a couple of things to unpack there. I mean, first and foremost, um, this whole thing, even if SB even if uh, SB one ninety nine had passed. The whole thing is statutory, so they could say, oh, yeah, this is what we're going to do. And then next year they could decide, no, no, it's a statute. We don't have to follow it. That's, you know, that's part and parcel of the problem. You're right. We need a constitutional component for that uh, just to be able to protect it. Uh, the second thing is, is on the compromise, it just seems like, you know, we, you know, the Republicans and conservatives have been willing to take that and bite that bullet and compromise. Unfortunately, you came off of the full statutory PFD. That's where you guys were at. And you said, okay, well, we'll compromise and go to the 50-50. And the, and the liberals and the big government spend folks on the other side said, oh, okay, great, you're willing to compromise, so here's our 75-25. I mean, it's, just, it's insane. I mean, there is no compromise. It's like kind of like our way or the highway. Right. Last year, the fiscal plan working group that, that came up in like the uh, between the second and third special sessions, right. that was part of that plan was everybody walked to the center. You know, we even had we had conservative legislators considering revenue bills last year. We had everybody stepping off their soapboxes, walking to the center. And but for I, I truly believe this, but for Bert Stedman, we would have had this that that fiscal plan working group policy accepted last year because he he did this bait and switch, forced that five twenty five PFD. He he wouldn't come off the thousand dollar, the eleven hundred dollar PFD, and that was part of that compromise. Stepping off the statutory formula, coming to the center, trying to grab as many people as we can to pass. I mean, we, <laughs> but for Russia invading Ukraine and pushing the price of oil to you know stratospheric heights we would still be in a fiscal crisis today. And we all look for resolution of the turmoil in Ukraine. Um, but uh, along with that will we'll come a, uh, I see somebody trying to get in my door. <laughs> I, uh, along with that will come, you know, will we'll come a moderation in, in oil revenue. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 it's a hard argument to make that, that we can continue at a hundred dollar barrel oil. We all know it's going to come yeah. back to something else. <laughs> Absolutely, Roger Holland, our guest. Uh, we're going to be back with him in just a moment. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We're brought.
broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, with uh, Roger Holland, he is our guest uh, here on the program. Uh, as we continue, when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the budgets. Uh, I'm back. And especially some of the capital budgets. Uh, you're back, Roger? Yep, sorry about that. No, that <clears throat> it happens. It is It is what it is. Um, as you As you look over this, and again, being one of the freshest faces in the Senate, What's your overall impression of everything that's going on down there? I mean, what you know, you just you just named names and said part of the problem is, you know, except for you know, except for Bert Stedman, this whole thing probably would have been fixed. I mean, is that really part of the problem? Is we got some of the old guard in there that that retain the positions of power and basically hold all the progress back? Yeah, you know, I I I will not make this mistake again next next session if if I'm back, and that would be. You know, we do not have a conservative on Senate finance. We just don't. And more than a conservative on Senate finance, we need a conservative co-chair on Senate finance. And uh, we we joined this Republican majority with promises, with guarantees. There would be a straight up and down vote on the permanent fund dividend last year. And it just didn't happen. Um, and, and what happened at the end of the third special session, I do believe there, there's, I, I think reports went out that Bert walked into Louise Stutz's office and asked her to gavel out early, and she gaveled out early. And then the last day of the third special session, we had a chance to vote up or down on the 50-50 compromise. And, uh, and with the, after a little bit of back and forth, the, uh, it wound up, failing because, uh, well, I, I don't know if I can get into it right now, but actually it passed, and then some Democrats asked to reconsider their vote because we realized, uh, they realized, if that vote was allowed to stay, then there would be a conflict between what the House voted out on and or gaveled out on and what the Senate passed, and it would actually revert to the governor's vetoed zero PFD. So uh, yeah, I, I do believe that uh, I, I do believe that it was uh, Bert Stedman who really killed the fiscal plan working group uh, policy last year. Well, we've seen a lot of things come out of uh, from his committees and <clears throat> under his directions recently, including uh, contingency languages and things like that. You know, vote for my bill, or we kill the Kinnick uh, Goose Bay Road project. You know, vote for my bill, or. You know, I make it contingent on this and that and the other things, kind of this this whole thing, which is essentially just arm twisting writ large in the public eye. And I just I personally just find that kind of stuff offensive. Yeah. And, and once again, so and and I'm going to mention on the air when we come back, I don't know how long you're going to have me on for today. But, you know, this is not the year of the binding caucus. This is the year of the bought off caucus. And what he's going to do is so we have this omnibus budget bill where he's wrapping capital and operations and supplemental into one big old thing that the, the I don't think the House has had a chance to we'll – we'll get a chance to review the capital budget um, just because where it's going to happen. But the, the whole idea is they are – they don't need conservatives to pass this budget. And you're, you're, I think that's going to be reflected in the final vote on it. And if you look at the districts, the way it goes, it's kind of hard to find these numbers – but um, just 
when you look at it, all of the Matsu, when you look at the capital budget, I think all of the Matsu, trying to find it, has like 9% of the capital budget, whereas um, Senator Stedman's district alone looks like it's got 5%. Senator Hoffman's uh, district has 14% of the capital budget. Uh, the Kenai, 22 Two percent. If I'm looking at this right, this is this is these are not easy numbers to get. Right. Um, this is not in House Bill 281, the current budget bill. You have to get off into some of the other uh, smaller software packages and find some of these numbers. And and so what's going on basically is that they you know they are you're going to see who thinks that they've had a fair shake in the capital budget. Those are going right. to be the yays that are going to pass HB 281. Yeah. Well, the Matsu only got 2%, actually, of the overall capital budget, according to Kevin McCabe. Uh, and, and that might be true. Like I yeah. said, it's, it's kind of hard looking at this stuff. What yeah. did I say? 9%? I mean, that might be 4 but that looks like 9 But uh and also, it depends on how far you grab, and I think we're looking oh, at Matsu's being right. three. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we go, we're going to jump back into this. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Uh, Roger Holland, our guest. All right, we're continuing now. Roger Holland, our guest, GOP state senator from District N. We're talking about the budget. We were just talking about the capital budget and some of the problems, um, you know, overall, what he's seen in the legislature since he got there. Uh, you know, you were saying that one of the biggest problems is we don't have a true fiscal conservative that has been serving on Senate finance, uh, let alone in, in the chairs of Senate finance. And you say that's one of the biggest problems you've seen so far this go around. Yeah, you know, this. The, the, I, I mentioned this won't be a mistake I, I would make next year in the 33rd session. I joined this Senate majority with guarantees, with promises that certain things would happen, and I just don't think they've happened. It, and what, what did we give up? We gave up the opportunity of having a conservative as a co-chair of finance or even, you know, um, yeah, I appreciate the work David Wilson uh, tries to do on, on – uh, on Senate finance, but you know, it's, it, we just don't really have representation on Senate finance. And, uh, I, I tell you, I don't know. It's like I said, it, it won't be a mistake I'd make again. I wouldn't join this majority. There, there are some senators who agree that I joined this majority wanting to quit this majority because I just didn't see that this was the way forward. Um, we're talking uh, a bit about uh, some of the actions uh, on this, and we've talked about it before, some of the contingency language that uh, Stedman and the, and the committee have worked out in the past, including the, you know, vote for my bill or we kill the KGB road uh, project and other things. And this year, uh, he's taking a new maneuver and a new tact, and that is wrapping everything up into one omnibus bill, meaning that a senator or, a, a, you know, who supported, say, the supplemental bill or supported the capital bill but didn't support the operating budget, uh, the bottom line is you have to vote for everything. It's all or nothing. There is no discussion. There is no, uh, there is, you know, there are no shades of gray in this. It's all or nothing. When it's and you over. are right on the money with that comment because 
a a legislator can say, well, you know, I support the operating budget, but I don't support the capital. I support the capital, I don't support the operating. And under a binding caucus, which we had prior to this session, I think they're still doing the binding caucus in the House, but in a Senate binding caucus, Senate finance, there's like you know, there's like four or five people in the in the Senate that build the budget, and everybody else has to say yes. Well, it's when when you don't have the binding caucus, and and the binding caucus is a guaranteed yes on the operating budget, guaranteed yes on capital, guaranteed yes on supplemental. So we we could vote yes on the capital and no on the operating, but what what Senate finance has done is wrapped it all up in this gigantic ball. And um, if if you want the capital budget, you gotta you have to vote for the operating budget. So, and I'm telling people this is not a binding caucus. This is the bought off caucus. And you you start looking at where the capital money is going. And I think you had mentioned that uh, Representative McCabe had report reported that uh, he saw the valley with like 19 percent of the state's population. They get two percent. With with 19 percent of the state's population and crazy growth going on in the Matsu area, and they get two percent of the capital budget. Uh, my right. numbers were a little different than that. I, I was looking at it. It looked like it was something over eight percent. But still, when you look at uh, 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 Bert Stedman's district alone, uh, districts 35 and 36, that looks like that right there is 60 million dollars, five percent of the capital budget. Um, there, there's the numbers don't play out, and right. you know it, it's you're going to see who feels like they're getting a fair shake in the capital budget. You're going to see that those are going to be the votes in the Senate that are going to pass the budget. Well, and as you say that, I mean, we hear about Lyman Hoffman's, uh, you know, wanting to get money for housing out there, and yet he has uh, some kind of stake. His family has some kind of stake in it. We know that uh, part of this is the road in Sitka that goes to Catalan, and uh, and we know that. Uh, uh, that Bert Stedman owns property out there. I mean, it's kind of like who's feathering whose nest and who's not bringing. I mean, why aren't these things being discussed, uh, you know, more openly? Why isn't there being some kind of investigation on it? I tell you honestly, it, I, I mentioned House Bill 281, which is the the omnibus budget in front of us. The, the numbers that we're discussing aren't really in there. You have to you have to get out of HB 281. You have to go into other uh, softwares to find these numbers and and it's just time is of the essence right now this was this was flashed before us i think last thursday and here it is 9 a.m this morning we're going to be up there we're going to be on the floor of the senate having a vote on this thing um and and the other part of it is this is apparently just the way it's done here in alaska and and this is the most disappointing part of this for me well this is the way it's done when you have a dictator essentially with a stranglehold on the finance committee doing what he wants to do. I mean, we've had Senator Machiki on this program telling me that the Senate finance committee is going to exercise the will of the majority caucus. And um, I mean, I don't mean to laugh, but ha ha, are you kidding me? This is the will of the Senate majority. This is what you, this is what you folks have wanted. This is the things that you guys have been wanting to put through. I mean, right. this is Wait, it's ridiculous. It's to see if it's the will of the Senate majority, look to see the votes that pass this budget. And that's my problem, you know. I, I, I choose to be a part of the Senate majority. Why? Because I chair education and I chair judiciary. I think I can do good work. We did Senate Bill 111, a committee, of education, Senate Education Committee bill. Uh, this year, I think we did a lot of good work on some reform uh, law bills for the governor. 
but but with that benefit comes a cost. I give whatever creed a cred street cred I might have as a senator to the Senate majority. And what does that allow them to do? That allows them to build these crappy budgets and then cross the aisle to get the votes they need to pass it. They don't with a binding caucus, they they don't they aren't guaranteed to get my vote. And and just like last year, I can vote no on this year's budget and they will cross the aisle to get the votes they need to pass this crappy budget. So what's the solution in your mind as you look at this? You just said if you return, you're not going to be joining a caucus again under these kind of auspices. But, I mean, what is the answer? Is the answer in your mind a binding caucus, or is it just we have to replace some of the people that are – I mean, we, basically we keep putting the, the bad actors back in charge of everything. And that's, that's, that's actually what it comes down to. You know, as a state, we just have to decide – are we going to send more liberals or more conservatives to the legislature? Are we going to, you know, you look even in, we have, we consistently send Republican majorities to the House and the Senate. But in the House, there's a conventional battle between Democrats and Republicans, basically. Um, the, 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 uh, and I get that. In the Senate, I have more. I have better working relationships with some Democrats than I do with some Republicans. And that's because the faction, the split between inside the Republican Party and the Senate is so great that the less conservative senators, I'll be generous there, the the non-conservative senators cross the aisle and and pass these terrible budgets with the benefit of the Democrats where in my mind we should just why is the why is this republican majority why are we allowing that why don't like i said i joined this majority wanting to quit this majority if if democrats and republicans together are going to pass these terrible budgets then they should be in the majority and you know it's it's that would be make it easier to identify where the problems are right uh, as a part of this Republican majority, I am part of the problem, and and like I said, if I choose not to be in the majority, then I don't get I don't get the Alaska Reads Act done. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a it's a tough balancing act, and I hate to say it, but as a state, we just have to decide. You know, if uh, are we going to send more conservatives or more liberals to the legislature? Well, and it's really not even a conservative and liberal divide now. Now the divide seems to be, in my opinion. The divide seems to be between the pro-government spend and the pro-private private sector spend. It seems, and that's still conservative. Yeah. You know, conservatives tend to believe in smaller government. Um, you know, uh, uh, the bigger the individual, the smaller the government. And and the liberals tend to believe in you know, there's a government program to fix every problem. Um, so so I still get that. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I I can see your side too. Well, and I, I think that's the thing. I mean, we keep looking at these people with the we keep looking at these people with the elephant or the donkey on their lapel. We keep looking at their party label, not realizing that some of the people that we keep sending back there, the party label really doesn't matter to them. It is the pro government versus the uh, versus the pro private sector side at every turn, and this is how they've basically you know inveigled us on this whole thing is, uh, you know, taking and, and remaining in their positions, still saying, well, I'm a Republican, but I'm going to do all these things and basically protect the government spend. I mean, we've changed out since 2016. We've changed out two-thirds of the legislature. 
and yet we're still having the same problems, and that leaves me to believe that the remainder is the problem at this point. And I tell you, if, if, I, if I'm here next year, if I'm not here next year, I will still offer my advice to the conservatives that show up next year. Um, you know, and, and like I said, this is a mistake I made this year. I would not join this Senate majority again. Um, we were given promises. We were given guarantees. We were told last year we'd have a straight up or down vote on the permanent fund dividend. That didn't happen. Um, it's I would not join the Senate majority again, and that's what I would encourage next year. It's a hard thing to do to say, you know, we don't want to try to get, you know, we don't want to try to get done what we can get done by being in the majority. If, if this state's going to pass or fail, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a tough it's a tough battle right. to make. But well, like I said, I wouldn't join this this Senate majority again next year. Well, that's the problem. It's a compromise to say, well, I'll join the majority even though I know I, these people don't want to work with me or do the things that we want to do simply so we can try and get some of these other things done. And yet nothing else. All these bills, the one, you know, the read by nine, the judiciary bill or the uh, excuse me, the election integrity bill. All these other bills that you, you'd hoped that by joining the majority, you'd have some traction to be able to pull these in. None of these things came about, and it gave legitimacy to these people who want to continue to grow big government at every, at every turn. Yep, yep, you, you got it. You got it. You're right on there. Uh, Roger Holland is our guest, GOP state senator for District 9. Uh, can, you come, can you continue with us to the top of the hour, Roger? Is that okay? Sure, sure. Okay. Thanks so All much. Right. We're going to hold on here. We're going to keep talking with Roger Holland. The Michael Duke Show continues. We've got more coming up. I don't know what we're going to talk about next, but I think we're going to dive back down into maybe what he sees as a potential solution. Obviously, not joining the caucus is going to bring its own perils. What does that mean for the upcoming session? Uh, if that's the case, we'll uh, see what he has to say on that. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now with uh, Roger Holland, uh, who's our guest, going to be with us to the top of the hour. And uh, we'll continue on our discussions there. Uh, keep naming names, says Jennifer. <laughs> Don't let these people hide any longer. And that's part of the that's part of the other thing that they depend on. It, you know, quite honestly, the the politicians who are remain in power and who hold on to these positions of authority, they 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 uh, depend on that whole. Well, we can't name our colleagues. We can't do anything. But at the same time, you know, we saw what happened last year when uh, Mike Showers was punished for his free speech. Uh, for his speech when he didn't he wasn't even really calling anybody out uh, but we still saw that so it's good for thee but not for me kind of thing is is uh, running rampant here and I agree with the, I agree with a caller with a listener that you know we need to name names we need to say this is the person that is the stumbling block to fixing the problem that we're having here in regards to the budget the PFD whatever it is that we're working on we need to mention those folks because otherwise people just don't know because they're not plugged in Enough and paying attention. Well, I tell you, it's uh, I, I I I I pick on Bert Stedman a lot because honestly, um, I, I do believe that uh, he he was the the individual response for killing the fiscal plan working group last year, and he's called me a foreigner 
that is here to raid the treasury. I'll never be as good as Bert because I wasn't born in Alaska. I choose to live here. And, you know, it's like, it's, there are these, these uh, I don't know, there are these kind of problems. But what I would like to make the argument probably next time, a little bit of discussion when we're back on the air, is, is the argument needs to be made for more representation on Senate finance by conservatives. And, and not just a, a, a member seat, but a, a co-chair seat. And then the other thing I'd like to talk about a little bit when we get back is the permanent fund. Yeah. And and how the permanent fund has grown every year. I mean, yeah, we had we had three years of stagnation pretty much. It was sixty five billion or so for three years straight. And then we increased our net take home after we paid our bills in just last year was about sixteen or seventeen billion dollars. Uh, this year, it's going to increase again by $4 billion. So you look at the last five years, the permanent fund has increased by about $4 billion every year when you average it out. It was never designed to grow that fast. And the reason it's growing fast is we aren't paying out dividends and we aren't honoring our obligations. Right. That's that's the key. If you're looking for the key to growth, it wasn't that Angela Rodell was such a wizard. It no. was the fact that you keep leaving all that money in the accounts, billions of dollars in the accounts, uh, instead of paying out the dividend. And, and I don't have anything against Ms. Rodell. Um, I'm not quite sure what happened there. But um, the idea that I think most of our thrift savings plans, our individual retirement plans, probably outperformed the permanent fund dividend, but for keeping mass amounts of cash in the fund by not paying our obligations. Right. You know, right. Um, so, see, I wouldn't mind talking a little bit about that when we come back. Well, not only did Natasha say we got more money than we know what to do with, I know Bert Stedman at one point said we've, we've paid all these bills and yet we've got four point something billion dollars to play with. Yeah, and, and and that is indicative of me to me of this idea that somehow they know better than you how to uh, how to how to spend your money. That's really the bottom line. This is the politician's disease writ large. Yeah, you know, I've I've been uh, when, when I, I I still believe that if we could get enough votes in the legislature, I'm opening up my computer here so I can get my calculator up. You know, you take ten billion dollars. Uh, ten billion, and you do, divide it by seven hundred thousand Alaskans, and you get uh, fourteen thousand dollars. That's that's kind of pretty much what we've kept out of the hands of Alaskans ever since we stopped paying the full PFDs. And you know that that would not be a bad way to spend ten billion dollars. The Permanent Fund Corporation said the Permanent Fund would not hit eighty billion until twenty twenty eight. We cross that line. You know, we're we're at eighty one billion today, six years early. How is that? Right. We're keeping money in that fund that that should have been paid out. Right, absolutely. And uh you mentioned uh Natasha again. I mean, some of the members of this committee, like you said, I don't think there's a single you know, we need a fiscal conservative in the chair, at least at least if they had one fiscal conservative and one, you know, one pro government spend and one one pro private sector spend in the chairs, at least they could duke it out a little bit and and have some balance in there. But right now it's just completely overbalanced. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a struggle. Uh, uh, Roger Holland is our guest. We're about 60 seconds from returning to the radio, uh, and we will jump into that. We'll talk about the PFD. Uh, we'll talk about – what was the other thing you want to talk about, Roger, again? 
Uh, just, just, uh, I think you hit it, the fair representation on Senate finance, okay. but also the permanent fund. Yeah. And, and the permanent fund was not designed to grow at $4 billion a year. Okay. All right. Well, we'll revisit this and start it from scratch, and we'll uh, see what you have to say. Folks, do me a favor. Like and share this video. Like and follow the show page, if you will, as well. If you're out on YouTube, I know there's a few people commenting on YouTube this morning. Please hit the subscribe button, ring the bell, and then share the show out there as well. We're going to continue. It is the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's do it. All right, uh, we are back. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Roger Holland is our guest. We are continuing our discussions with him this morning. Uh, we're going to specifically be talking about uh, the Finance Committee makeup and the PFD. Roger, first and foremost, we were just talking about the makeup of the Finance Committee and how you're saying we need a fiscal conservative, not just as a member, but as one of the co-chairs. And I said that would make it at least more equitable because if you had a pro-government spend in one chair and a pro-private sector spend in the other, at least there'd be some equitability in that. Yeah, you know, it's, um, I, I mentioned I wouldn't join the Senate majority again because that was the argument we were making. We wanted a co-chair, a conservative co-chair in this 32nd legislative session, and we just couldn't get it. And and that was a compromise we made. We, we we decided we would accept the guarantee of like up and down votes on the permanent fund dividend and whatnot. But um, that's that would be the argument that I would carry into the thirty third session is not just. I mean, we would need a conservative co chair of Senate Finance to move forward. Right. Um, you know, they, so uh, we we had talked about a couple of other things, and, I'm, and uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the on the air this morning. Um, but uh, I also want to talk a little bit about the the permanent fund, and and the whole idea behind paying the statutory formula or the fifty fifty compromise. It it really it amazes me to hear people talk about you know we're overdrawing the permanent fund, we're we're we're. You, the, the permanent fund, the Alaska Permanent Fund Corporation, in 2019, they projected that the permanent fund would not hit 80 billion until 2028. Right. So here we are today. We sit at 81 billion dollars. We're we've hit the 80 billion dollar target more than six years early. How does that happen? That happens because we don't pay our obligations as a state. The permanent fund was never designed to grow like it has grown. We had three years of kind of flat growth from 20, maybe 18, 19, and 20. And then uh, we had this one big bumper year last year where even after our our our, our uh, state budgets were paid and whatever, we still put 16 or 17 billion with a B in the bank. And then this year, once again, I think you had mentioned, Senator Stedman talked about, uh, we're gonna have a little over 4 billion, once again, a bankroll. The permanent fund was never designed to grow at $4 billion a year. And, and why is it doing that? And it, which is done. It's grown by like when you average it out for the last five years, it, is it, increased, it has increased by about $4 billion each year. And how is that? We are growing the permanent fund 
on the backs of Alaskan families. There, there are four groups that haven't really seen any financial disruption in the last pandemic two years or so. And those, that's military families, military employees, federal, state, and municipal employees. Who has borne the economic brunt of the pandemic shutdown? The private sector. Right. And so while we've had just the, the worst two years on record for the private sector here in Alaska and in the United States, what could we have done in Alaska differently? Well, doggone it, we could have paid our permanent fund dividend as, as mandated by law or at least just a 50-50 compromise. But we are, we're choosing to not pay those extra dollars out to Alaskans in order to grow the permanent fund at, at levels never seen before. And the big target, I think, is to get the permanent fund across this $100 billion mark, $110, $120 billion, where it will alone throw off enough money to pay for all the needs of government. And this is after they've chased out probably two or 300,000 Alaskans have been chased out of Alaska because it's no longer an economic uh, you know, benefit to live here. And, and you're just going to get down where you're going to have just like state, federal, municipal employees, military, and, and maybe a small private economy to serve them. And Alaska would be a gigantic federal park. Well, and I think that was that was the point I was just going to make that that looks like the ultimate end game. The ultimate end game is that they want to continue to bulk up the the uh, the permanent fund itself until it gets to that point to where it's that self sustaining and can spin off that much money, and then they don't have to justify themselves to anybody on the money that they spend. The money's there. Look, it's free money. We're going to do it now. It it tanks and damages the private sector, but that's not the sector that they care about. They care about the government spend, and that's part of the problem where. When, you know, you know, so we don't pay income tax in Alaska. And the only link that the private sector, that regular Alaskans have to the permanent fund is the dividend. Right. You know, and, and one thing to do, they, and what have they done? They have consistently cut the dividend, and they will never be able to cut it enough. Once we've cut it to the, this $1,100, maybe the $2575 is has been a pass by enough and, and we've accepted that, then that's going to get cut and it's going to get cut. And sooner or later, there's going to be no dividend. And what's going to happen? Government's still going to grow. And you're going to wind up suddenly the principal of the permanent fund, the corpus, is no longer worthy of being protected because we'll have chased so many people out. Taxes won't be able to make up the difference. Right. And, and once you start eating into the corpus, then I, in many people's minds, the way to save the permanent fund is to save the permanent fund dividend. That is the, the, the investment that Alaskans have in monitoring what happens in state government. It's currently the only connection, as you pointed out, to their state government. Since there are no taxes, it's the only way that we get we feel the bite when government overspends. And unfortunately, it hasn't been enough thus far to make it happen, which leads to the question of what, I mean, this is what Jay Hammond talked about originally when he argued against zeroing out. I mean, he argued against, he argued for zeroing out the income tax, but leaving it on the books because he said it's the only way to govern the the spending of the legislature because when people get involved and they get hacked off because you're taking all their money and hitting them with these taxes, then they will get motivated to move forward. And I appreciate your mentioning Governor Hammond. I mean, I was just thinking that you know Governor Hammond in in his book. I got it somewhere here up on my desk. Um, it's uh, he talks about he 
he the the reason behind the permanent fund dividend is he wants the collective greed said in the best way possible. He wanted the collective greed of Alaskans in general to ride herd on the selective greed of small interest groups to control the permanent fund. He wanted that collective interest of the Alaskan population in monitoring what happened to the permanent fund to keep it from being controlled by small groups that you know just just wanted to to do what they wanted with the permanent fund. Right. But yeah, the collective greed versus the selective greed. Uh, Roger Holland is our guest. Roger, we're down to the last three minutes here or so. So, what do you think happens at the end of this session, and what is, what is the solution for the upcoming session? Well, I tell you, the, the, like I said, the solution is whether I'm here or not. I'm going to be whispering in the ears of whatever conservatives care to listen that that there are some things that just aren't worth it, and this 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 compromise that I think I and many others made for the Senate majority, in retrospect, it's hard to look at it and see that that um, it was worth it. I think I think many of us did good work here, but there's still obstacles, and and yeah, you know, it's. Uh, Try. I I still I have concerns on whether we're going to wrap this up by May 18th, and are we not looking at some sort of another special session beyond this? But uh, I hate to say that that dirty word special those dirty words special session. But uh, yeah, you know it's uh, I I do hope that we can we can get my idea for for me at least the the big win is get the Alaska Reads Act through this year. Um, I've I've heard people making an argument for the BSA and the Higher Education Fund and all all those things. Uh, you know, there's a backup plan for it. There's an idea of a future funding for it. But if we don't get something like the Alaska Reads Act passed this year and this reading reform, once again, we're pushing back on trying to fix just just a basic problem in Alaska. We, we are having a hard time educating our, our kids. And uh, that, that's, that's my highest priority here is, is to try to get Senate Bill 111 passed and uh, trying to address some of the problems we, three, we see with K-3 reading. I think your comments on the floor, and you mentioned them, you kind of paraphrased them earlier, I think are still prescient and still important. I mean, it seems like when we were in a fiscal crisis, the answer was taxes and cut the dividend. And yet here we are with a $4 billion surplus coming up with everything and all the bells and whistles and every pet project being funded. And we still have $4 billion. And the answer is still cutting the dividend and raising taxes. And that just shows you a little bit of insight into what this group of folks wants. Yeah, you know that that's the recurrent theme. That's what we always come back to. And and uh, you know, Michael, thank you for having me on the show this morning. Um, I appreciate it. Um, it's uh, yeah, it, it's going to be a hard fight, a hard fought battle for the next uh, the next uh, eight or nine days or so. And uh, we'll just have to see how it comes out. Do me a favor, call your legislator, tell them what you think. Absolutely, Roger Holland, our guest. Thank you so much, Roger, for coming on board and being part of it today. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right, uh, folks, that pretty much does it for today. We're going to wrap things up and head out tomorrow on the program. We're going to be joined by uh, we're going to be joined by Brad Keithley and Chris Story. We're going to talk about more of this. We're going to get down into the actual numbers on the budgets, especially some of those capital budgets and some of the other stuff that's going on. It's going to be pretty crazy stuff. We appreciate you guys being part of it. Thanks for coming in and joining us. The Michael Duke Show. 
Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Don't forget, you can always join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Show. If you want to come in and uh, get notifications and see some of the stories we're talking about, don't forget you can also help support us on the Common Sense Court. That is our that is our private cool kids club where you can help support the show and be part of it, get access to our private Facebook group and more. We're out of time for today, my friends. We hope you have a good one. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great Monday. It's going to be a good Monday. That's it right there. It's going to be a good Monday. Be kind, love one another, and live well.